Welcome again to the first worship service of 2019. I'm Philip, and uh, just as I mentioned earlier, I just want to re-elaborate on something. Uh, This is the first sermon of the year that is also going to be paired with the study guide for the year, and we really are excited about this tool, uh, this partner, to go alongside everything um, that we're doing this year, and we say from the the platform here, uh, we think it's going to be uh, just kind of revolutionize how we do life groups, how life groups function. Um, Leaders no longer have to worry about what to study next. Uh, It's provided for you, and you can customize it any way that you can. And there's also a reading guide that is available um, in that. And we're also going to put uh, ways you can partner with not only us, but also area... um, missions and things like that that we support in the community, um, even maybe that we hear from you. If it goes along with what the series is about, we'll put those in there for you to contact those people and serve. Just a lot of things that that study guide is going to do, and we're excited. All available at your fingertips. All you've got to do is go to the Life Group page of the website, and again, we'll always have hard copies for you. If you're not a website type of person, um, they'll always be over at the hub. Uh, I, I do enjoy reading. Uh, I read a lot. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of fiction. I've read some fiction, but I'm more of a nonfiction kind of guy. And one of my favorite things to read about right now is emotional intelligence. I'm just fascinated by it. Uh, it's something that people are starting to really grasp hold of and starting to study a lot more. So I read a lot about emotional intelligence. I like to read about ministry, leadership, preaching. Um, I just enjoy reading some of my calendar. Every week I take time uh, in the office where I'll close my door and make sure that I can kind of hide away and just spend at least 30 minutes. I try to get to an hour of just, I call it my growth reading. I just want to grow and read. Um, So I'm always in a book, and i got to admit, I'm a sucker for catchy titles, okay? Now, not all books with a catchy title are worth reading, but there is one that... From the title alone, I'm like, i got to pick this thing up. And then once I found out who wrote it, I'm like, I've got to read this. I know it's going to be good. And it was. It actually changed the way that I honestly do my faith. It changes the way I think about things. And um, books sometimes have that effect on us, and I'm really grateful. There are a lot of resources out there, if you're a Christian. There are a lot of resources out there that you can read and you can study uh, that will help you grow as a Christian. Uh, There's tons of them. If you're not a Christian, there are tons of resources out there that can help you know and better understand what being a Christian is even all about. Um, There's tons and tons, and I typically don't endorse a book from uh, in a sermon from the platform um, just because there's so many for you to read. But this one, I couldn't help myself. Uh, I saw myself in the title, and that's why I picked it up. And I think even if you're not a Christian, and if you're listening online, or if you're here today, I think you'd still really like this book. And it's by pastor and author Craig Rochelle, and it's called The Christian Atheist. Now, what is a Christian Atheist? A Christian atheist is someone who says they believe in God, but live as though he doesn't exist. And to be honest, if if you used to go to church and you don't anymore, this may be one of the reasons why. You grew up and you saw people who said they believed in God, and maybe even you were one of these people, but they lived every other moment of their life like he didn't exist beyond the four walls of a church building. And maybe that's what drove you away in the first place. Or maybe you find yourself here and you're like, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. I have lived this way. 
in many times. I've lived this way many times. And one of the main reasons I've lived as though God didn't exist is because I spent large portions of my life, and maybe you have as well, believing I couldn't and didn't need to change. And in 2019, we want our lives to look different than it did last year at this time, which means they're going to have to change. But I spent a lot of my life, and even, even still, I'm, I'm constantly reminded of this, I feel sometimes like I don't need to change or that I cannot change. And maybe you felt the same way. Today we're going to take a look at a real, live Christian atheist. And it's written, the story is written by one of Jesus' very best friends. His name is John, and you know John. If you've ever heard this phrase, whether you go to church or not, you've probably heard the phrase, God is love. That's because of John. John wrote that. John said that because John walked with Jesus. The, the time that he was on earth, he walked with Jesus for several years, and at the end of Jesus' life, he looks him in the face, and John just has this revelation, like, this man is God, and God is love. We have John to thank for that. And today, in this story that John wrote, we're going to see something, and I'm just going to tell you right up front, that way you can see this throughout our entire time together this morning. But many of us believe a common lie. And a lie believed as truth will always affect you as if it were actually true. Now I want to say that again because it's so, so important. Many of us believe a common lie. And a lie believed as truth will always affect you as if it were actually true. So what is the lie that many of us believe even right here? It's actually a lie that probably a lot of us are even going into the new year hopeful, but not even realizing we listen to this lie. And the lie... The common lie today is that many of us say we believe in God, but don't believe we can change. Some of us are here today, and we feel stuck. And then there's some of us who probably don't even realize that we are stuck. But this is the new year. This is the time to get unstuck. That's the whole point of a New Year's resolution. But what do we often do? We set these lofty goals, and then about the third week, maybe some the third day in, you, you fail, and you chalk it up to, well, that's just the way that I am. If you've ever said that, that phrase, that's just the way that I am, you probably believe or have believed this lie that you can never and don't need to ever change. So, What is the key, then, to real, significant, lasting life change? I just want to ask you today, what what are the lies that you are sitting here listening to right now? You know, the, the New Year's resolution stuff is all in an attempt to address the lies. And some of us are here, and we come maybe week after week, or maybe you've been here first time in a long time, and you're probably listening to some sort of lie. What are they? For some of you, it might be that you're alone, and you're always going to be alone. It's never going to change. You're never going to change. For some of you, it might, mean, it might be that you know, you're insignificant. You've always had this feeling of insignificance. It's just the way that you are. You're not a significant person. So just deal with it. It's never going to change. Some of you might be here, think, and the lie you're listening to is, you know, my relationships are always going to be broken. It's just the way they're going to be. In fact, my marriage is always going to be distant and cold. There's nothing I can do. They won't ever change, so I just need to accept it. And, and some of you are probably here, and you struggle with some sort of addiction, and you probably think, you know, there's no way I'm ever going to get free from this. I've tried, and I can't do it. 
What are the lies that you are listening to today that you allow to define you? Are you believing a lie because you've lived most of your life believing it was true of you? Now, our story today contains a guy who believed the lie, you will never change. You can't ever change. And it's found in John 5. If you want to go ahead and turn there or click there on your phone, whatever you do, um, John 5. But before we get there, we've got to see there are actually two things at the core of the lie that we will never and can never change. There are two things. And you've probably seen these in your own life, and we need to just tell you them right up front so you can see them jump out in the story. But there's two reasons that are at the core of the lie you will never and can never change. The first one is that... We believe in God, but we don't believe we can change because of our excuses. And many of us are so good at making excuses for ourselves. And maybe that's one of the reasons, as you'll see today, that prevents you from seeing God and your life transform. It's because of our excuses. We're pro-excuse makers very, very often. So that's the first reason, is to see that we make a lot of excuses. But the second reason that many people believe in God but don't believe they can change is because many people believe the road to change lies in something you don't have but you think you need. We think the road to change lies in something we don't have but we really think that we need. More on this in just a few minutes. So our story today is written from the perspective of one of Jesus' best friends. Some scholars say he was his best friend. Some people say Peter. Maybe they were frenemies trying to compete for Jesus' best friendship. I don't know. But John was one of the people closest to Jesus. And John is way different than the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is a lot different because John waits till a lot later in his life to write down the things that he learned about Jesus while he followed him. So he's been seasoned with life, seasoned with persecution, and he gets to the end of his life as an elderly man, and he writes down and remembers everything that he wrote. And the reason he wrote this all down, and this is so great, this is why I always tell people to start with John if you're new to reading the Bible, because John writes, he says this in chapter 20, he writes for one purpose, He says that there are so many more things that could have been written about Jesus. But I wrote these things so that if you just read these, that would be enough for you to know who Jesus is, to be able to trust him, and to have everlasting life. That was his purpose. That's why he wrote his gospel. It's incredible. It's an incredible place to start. And within this amazing recollection of his time with Jesus, the man who changed the world, he writes about a Christian atheist what we would call a Christian atheist. He writes about someone that believed they could never change. Set the context for you a little bit. Um, Jesus in this story, uh, John's again traveling with him. He's entering into Jerusalem, the holy city, the city where all the big stuff happened. And as he comes into Jerusalem, he's entering through the northern side of the city. He comes through the part of the outer wall that's called the Sheep Gate. Now, the Sheep Gate was really significant. It had a lot of history. If you've ever read in the Old Testament the book of Nehemiah, about the prophet Nehemiah, the Sheep Gate was part of the outer wall that Nehemiah was told by God himself to rebuild. 
So it's got some history. And Jesus is entering in through this part of the city. But right by the sheep gate was a covered pool. If you can picture a big hole in the ground with fancy colonnades and everything, and it was covered. And it was thought, many manuscripts leave this out, but it was thought by the local people that at some time during the day, an angel of the Lord himself would come down and would stir the water. It would start to move. And the first person, if you were the first person to make it to the water, whatever disease or affliction you had was instantly healed just like that. So for that reason, this northern entry of the city was flooded with disabled and diseased people. It was a sad and overwhelming sight for sure. And that's the entrance of the city that Jesus chooses to enter into when we encounter a very, very interesting man. John chapter 5 and verse 5. Jesus had just entered into the city and he says, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked, do you want to get well? It's kind of a rude question to ask someone who's clearly paralyzed, do you want to get well? But the guy doesn't respond like you and I would think he would respond. If, if you were like that, you would probably think if someone comes along and says, hey, do you want to get well? You'd be like, I'll try anything, just make me well. But that's not what he does at all. 38 years of being in this condition. And here's what he does. He actually does the same thing that you and I sometimes do when Jesus asks if we want our life to change. Here's what he does. He uses his excuses. He says, sir... I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Notice the two things at the core of the lie you would never change are at play here. He uses his excuses, I've got no one to help me. And all of his trust is placed in something, in this case magic water, that he can never seem to get. This is us. Now, all of his trust is placed in something. But what it really needed to be placed in was someone. And Jesus, of course, after this, Jesus told him the 12-step process to becoming a follower of him, right? And made him read all of this stuff and showed him, like, you got to go to, the, to school to know all the Jewish texts, and then, and then I'll show you. No, he didn't do that at all. I love Jesus' short answers to, to like, very significant problems. He just says this, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And the guy laid there. Just kidding. Here's what he does. At once, the man was cured. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. You know, John, who penned these words, can you imagine for a minute what it felt like to recall this instance? Because John was probably once like this guy. Maybe not paralyzed, but probably at one point thought that his excuses were always going to define him, his past was always going to define him, and that he could never change even if he wanted to because he kept trying to fill that change with something. And John probably has a lot of joy rewriting this story where he remembers the time, the moment when John finally realized it's not about a something, but a someone. I can only imagine the joy this brings him to recall this story. And so many of us, so many of us are just like the man in this story. Some of us know every reason why we can never and will never change. 
We know from the context that he was maybe paralyzed or some disease that made him, it was really hard for this guy to move to where someone always beat him to the pool. But his, his body wasn't the only thing paralyzed. His spirit was as well. He knew every reason why he would never and could never change. And some of us are here and we are experts for the same reason on why we will never, ever change. Like this man in our story, you will make every excuse, we will make every excuse we can before we actually allow ourselves to change. But what we need to do is see the excuses that we make. Do we really want to get free from that addiction? Do we really want to fill in the blank, whatever it is? Did this guy really want to get free? I'm sure he probably really did. But his circumstances left him paralyzed thinking he could never change no matter what. And so many of us are just like this. 38 years is a long time to be in one condition. And he has stored up a lot of excuses in that amount of time. And guess what? We probably would do the same exact thing. But I like this quote from the book that I mentioned earlier uh, by Pastor Craig Rochelle. I, I love this quote. If you're not dead, you're not done. If you have breath in your lungs, you ain't done. Keep going. The first reason we say we believe in God but don't believe we can change is because of our excuses. If you're not dead, you're not done yet. Keep going. First thing we've got to do is ditch the excuses. But what about the second thing? The second thing we see at play in this story. Many of us say we believe in God, but don't believe we can change because the road to change, we think, includes something we can never seem to actually get. And it paralyzes us. For the paralyzed guy in our story, it was the magic water. He could never make it. Ever, every time it was stirred, he's like, I can't make it because all of his trust was placed in something he could never actually get. And a lot of us are the same way. If I could just, if I could just find a girlfriend or a boyfriend, if I could find someone that I could finally settle down with, it would change my loneliness and I would, I would have some meaning. You know, if I could just find the right church, if I could find the right church or go to the right class or be in the right group of people in the right time at the right place, I maybe could change my spiritual walk. If I could just find the right new fitness supplement or Bowflex Extreme Extra or some sort of gym that's cheap but also good, I could probably change the way that I look and how I feel about my body. For some of us, if I could just find the right job that pays the right way, maybe, just maybe, I'd be able to change my financial situation, but also my contentment and quality of life. We place a lot of trust in some things, and we pursue a lot of some things. You want to know the key to life change? This isn't for me. The key to life change is not in trying every something we can until we find one that works. The secret to life change rests in knowing someone. And I believe the someone we need to know is Jesus. And I'll tell you why here in just a moment. But what, what changed the world was who Jesus is and what he did. That's what changed the world and people's lives from the very beginning, before any of it was even ever written down. 
Jesus was changing people's lives. Do you realize before there was ever a Bible, Jesus was already changing lives? Go back to verse 9 of the passage. At once the man was healed, but he didn't recite chapter and verse. He didn't pray a certain prayer. All he did was believe in the someone who asks, do you want to get well? Jesus. And it was enough. In just a few moments, I will explain why. I think, I believe with all my heart, Jesus is the someone that you should place your trust in. Because within this story, he did something so incredibly profound that once you realize it, you can't help but want to know more. More on that in just a little bit. But right now, I want to talk to you. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, I want to talk to you for a minute. Uh, So often, we really do become paralyzed and think we can never change. And maybe you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and you are tired of your life looking the same, that it's never going to change. And maybe the key to that is because you hide behind your excuses or you place your trust in something other than the someone that you know is your hope, which is Jesus. Look, I've done the same thing. And, and if you follow Jesus, you know that truth. You know that Jesus is the only thing to place your trust in. But be honest with me. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to remember that when, when life really gets at an all-time low. It's hard to remember when all these fancy somethings are always pushed in our direction. It's hard to remember, but we cannot forget that the power of the Christian life lies not in something, not in an excuse, but in someone, in the hope and strength that he gives you if you follow him. Some of us need to remember that, and it's so important because if you read the rest of the story, which I would encourage you to do in John 5, sometimes people don't share the excitement that you do for the changes God's doing in your life. And if you are prone to use excuses, if you are prone to try the latest and greatest something, the change will not last. Read the rest of John 5. But this message will be helpful for those who follow Jesus, but I think also for those who don't. If you're here or you're listening online or whatever, and and you don't follow Jesus, I still think this is going to be helpful because probably the reason you're not seeing your life change is because of the excuses that you make for yourself. That's just self-help 101. We've got to quit making excuses for ourselves. But if you are not a Christian, I want you to know that when you strip away Every bad example that you've seen of Christianity, when you strip away all the complexity and all the somethings that you chase, when you get down to just only what Jesus said about you, you will not only find the secret to life change, but you will find the secret to joy and the fundamental truth that you are loved. When you strip away everything, The thesis of Jesus' message is that you are loved. Got to get rid of the excuses. Quit trusting in every something. Now here's why I think that Jesus is the someone that we should place our trust in. He did something so profound in this story that once you realize it, it just blows you away. This is why a lot of people who don't follow Jesus decide to, is what I'm about to tell you. And this is why people who do follow Jesus rejoice when they remember this truth. Here it is. This was the actual miracle 
that officially began the persecution of Jesus. This was it. Healing this one man on the Sabbath. The Jewish religious leaders, they had persecuted Jesus for a while. Like they, they really didn't like him. They were annoyed by him. But this is the miracle that marked Jesus for death. Helping one man. This is the final straw. After this, the Pharisees, all the religious leaders, all of Jesus' enemies changed their conversation into how can we be an inconvenience to how can we exterminate the problem. This marked Jesus for death. Now here's why this blows me away and here's why I think you'll want to follow him. He knew that would happen. 100% he knew that was going to happen. And he helped one seemingly insignificant man And he knew it would mark him for death. And do you want to know something? He would have done the same thing for you. If you would have been a man or woman lying there waiting on some magic water to heal you, he would have asked about your condition. And he would have asked if you want to get well. And he would have done the same for you, even though it meant he was going to die for it. And the kicker is that he not only knew he would be marked for death, but that his death would actually happen. And he knew it was going to be terrible. And he did it with zero regret. Now, you might be here thinking, how on earth can I believe that someone who doesn't even know me would do that for me? Because greater love has no one than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus does know you. He does. You may be believing that that, that you're not worth it, that your life can never look different than it does right now. It's a lie. It's 100% a lie. And don't listen to that in this new year. A lie believed as truth will always affect you as if it were actually true. We are not listening to lies anymore. Why do I think you should follow Jesus? Because you are that man or woman at the well waiting on something to change you. And Jesus comes as the someone who actually can. And he comes as the someone who will stop and look at you, even though the world says you're insignificant, and he will say, do you want to get well? Then get up. Because if you're not dead, you are not done. Pick up your mat and walk. We put our hope in a lot of somethings. What we need to do is put our hope in someone. If you follow Jesus, he not only said he would die, but he said he would come back to life again, which is something that's just crazy. But he said that if he actually did that, he said, when I come back, it'll put a pin in every promise I've ever made to you. And he pulled it off. He did it. And again, he did it for you. So, If that's true, then how do we take that step? How do we, how do we, whether we follow Jesus or not, how do we actually begin to take steps towards real and significant and lasting life change in 2019? Well, it's not from some fancy new self-help book. It's actually an ancient letter (laughs) written by a guy who had to do the exact same thing. There's a guy that wrote most of the New Testament in your Bible, and his name is Paul. And Paul struggled daily with trusting in something, the law, versus the someone who is Jesus. 
And he writes, he actually gives us the best tool, the best method for dealing with this uh, that, that I have ever seen. And it's tucked right in a letter that we call 2 Corinthians. And it's in chapter 10. If you want to highlight verses 3 through 5, here's what it says. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine powers to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. So, the Greek word for strongholds is okuroma. There's your Greek for the day. I know you were dying to have some Greek for the day. Okuroma, here's what it means. To fortify, lock up, or imprison. That is what the enemy tries to do to you. That is what the lies do to you. You believe them for so long that they lock you up and imprison you to think you can never change. The only way to deal with those is something that Paul tells us, take every thought captive. Do you remember earlier when I said that I really like reading about emotional intelligence and that a lot of people think that's a new field? It's not a new field at all. In fact, Paul was the first person I've ever read that talked about emotional intelligence. There are four keys to emotional intelligence, and Paul lists the first one right here. Self-awareness. Take every thought captive. You don't think you can change? Take that thought captive. Become self-aware. Understand why you're believing these lies. And then you will see clearly to place your trust in the one who actually can change you. Self-awareness. Take every thought captive. So if you don't think your marriage can take better or, or can get better, it can. But it's not because the other person is going to change. It's because you are going to change, and it's because you are going to become self-aware and take those thoughts captive, and you are going to let Jesus change your life. If you don't think you can be free from an addiction, you can. Because the moment you become self-aware and take those thoughts captive, why am I addicted? You realize you can't get over that on your own. And then you start to realize, I need some help, and that's why there are Christian counselors that I can trust and that will help me walk through this. But it takes ditching the excuses and quit placing trust in something, in someone, who can actually change you. If you want your life to have meaning, and I know that you do, but you don't think it can, it can. Take those meaningless thoughts captive, because you are not listening to lies anymore. You're only listening to the truth that is told about you from the mouth of Jesus. You know, Sarah and I enjoy concerts. Um, We really like concerts. We've been to tons of them. And uh, recently we went to a concert of probably my favorite band right now. And it's the second time I've seen them. And what they typically do is in the middle of their concert, the guy will come out, one of the lead singers, and he'll talk. And he'll share some things. Well, this impacted me more than anything else I've ever heard at any concert. Even from all my Bible college professors, no one ever said something to me as profound as this. He said, you have resurrection blood in your veins. Not only did his Irish accent make it sound way cooler than it already does, but it's so true. If that's really true, then I am a child of a resurrected king. And if I am really a child of the resurrected king, if I have resurrection blood in my veins, which would make a killer tattoo, I just got to say, but if, if I have resurrection blood in my veins... There is no lie that will ever be true of me that Jesus came to abolish. 
There is nothing insignificant about me because I am a child of the resurrected king. I choose to follow Jesus, and that is why I have resurrection blood in my veins. Many of you here, you have that same blood flowing through your veins because you choose to follow Jesus, who is not dead, but alive. And for many of you here or listening online, you so badly want something to be true of your life that says you're not worthless. You want your life to change so bad. And I hope that that phrase, you have resurrection blood in your veins, just stirs something in you that maybe you want to just figure out more of what that actually means. You know what the Christian life is? It's a no excuses, no gimmicks, outpost of hope kind of life. That is what we are called into as followers of Jesus. And I would love for you this year to join that journey, whether you follow him or not. You can talk about this in your life group with that study guide on the way home today. Whatever you do, don't leave the conversation in your seat. That happens too often. Ditch the excuses and trust, not in something, but someone. Because we are not listening to lies anymore. I hope you find out what Jesus really says about you. Because I think you will be blown away. So I challenge you this year to find out what he says about you. God, thank you. Thank you for the fact that we don't have to hide. Thank you for the fact that your truth is very simple. Love one another as you have loved us. And when we understand the depth of your love, it literally blows us away. We're not listening to lies anymore. God, it's crazy to us because so often we think we need to draw near to you. You are already drawn near to us. You've always been near to us. We just need to recognize that. And I pray that somebody in here who feels like you're far away, would look to their left or right and actually see you there, would feel you there. I pray that those who are searching for community this year would take the step to get in community. Pray for those who are just determined to continue to make excuses for themselves, would realize that their circumstances don't define them. You are so much more powerful than that. And God, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your love. We thank you that we never have to ask, be with us. You already are. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.